Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out-of-pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Sarah and I have talked many times about our desire to age as gracefully as possible, and skincare is a huge piece of that. I spend a lot of time and money thinking about my skin, and I have added Ritual to my routine, which just gives me a lot of comfort. Ritual is here for us. They have created a wrinkle support skin supplement and conducted clinical studies, so we know it's working. They're taking the guesswork out of skincare. Ritual Hyacera is one of several Ritual products that I love. I take the daily multivitamin, I take a probiotic, and Hyacera is that once daily skincare supplement that is clinically proven to reduce wrinkles and fine lines and increase skin smoothness in 90 days. I recently met a friend for the first time in person as opposed to online. And we were discussing the fact that I am 43 and she said, I cannot believe how young you look. And I thought, thank you Ritual for that. Start Hyacera to help minimize wrinkles without compromising on clean science. Hyacera from Ritual is a clinically proven skin supplement you can actually trust. Get 25% off your first month for a limited time at ritual.com slash pantsuit. Start Ritual or add Hyacera to your subscription today. That's ritual.com slash pantsuit for 25% off. Today is the 17th anniversary of the attacks on September 11th. We share our thoughts and reflections on the anniversary and our trip to the 9-11 Memorial and Museum. This is Sarah from the left. And Beth from the right. You're listening to Pantsy Politics. No shouting, no insults, plenty of nuance. Welcome to another episode of Pantsuit Politics. We are back from New York City. If you don't follow us on Instagram, you need to get on over there. We recorded a lot of Instagram stories. I believe they're also on our Facebook page stories of, of our travels throughout the city. Um, it was so fun to have you guys giving us recommendations. We had an amazing listener give us a backstage tour of the set of Hamilton. And so everybody sending their recs and following along and being super supportive on Instagram and Facebook was really fun. So if you don't follow us on social media, go on over and check it out. So we're going to do a lightning round to get through the news of the week. Dylan, if you'll start the clock for us. It's a full court press for Ted Cruz in Texas right now as a race that never should have been close is getting close. I'm here for it. When I saw Beto O'Rourke on Ellen, I was like, oh, this is getting serious. Like a spot like that on Ellen, I feel like means things are shifting in your favor. I think that's true. It frustrates me a little bit because while I think O'Rourke is a great candidate and this is an important race, it bothers me that he gets so much media attention when there are lots of women running across the country who aren't getting that much press. But it would be a very big deal to take down Senator Ted Cruz. I think it is unreal that the answer is 
lieutenant governor of Texas goes to Washington, D.C. and begs for the president to come help in this race. It just makes me really sad about where we are. I don't know how that is a help, but we're on a light rhyme, so I won't say anything else. Les Moonves is out at CBS after the reporting of... I don't. I feel like he needs some sort of official title. Ronan Farrow kicking it out of the park on these Me Too stories left and right. Just relentless. His reporting is relentless, and I am here for it. Should we call him the dethroner? That's yeah, the dethroner. That's does. good. That's well. What's outrageous about this story is that the board of directors knew so much. This is his second story on Les Moonves, and he's now just out because they apparently they were working on some one hundred million dollar exit like graceful exit strategy i'm sorry this story contains reports of violently forced oral sex why do we care if he makes a graceful exit i'm glad they got their act together and just kicked him out they're donating 20 million dollars to sexual harassment advocacy groups and they're also reorganizing their board which i think is very much called for at this point I think it's very much called for, too. Serena Williams has been in the news a lot because of what took place at the U.S. Open. If you're not following the story, the official, what do you call a tennis official, Sarah? Is it an umpire? I think they're, I don't know no, I think they're referee. Tennis. A referee. referee. Mm-hmm. So the referee, the guy who sits in the chair and watches the match, uh, penalized Serena Williams over believing that her coach was improperly giving her signals from the stands. She was very emotional about that and said... Well, she was pretty calm at that point. She was calm at that point. She was like, I don't cheat. That's not what's happening. I understand. But then it escalated a bit. Well, and I I was seeing emotional because I I watched that video footage too, and I thought she handled herself so Mm -hmm. well. If somebody accused me of cheating, I would have been hysterical. And and you could see in her face, like, are you kidding me? Yeah, I'm Serena Williams. My is established here. Yeah. And and it escalated from there. At one point, she broke a racket. but, But she continued, I thought, to speak to him and everyone in a in a tone of voice that was not out of control at all and she said this this has happened to me too many times men do not get penalized this way and it looks like the official just could not handle her mm-hmm. engaging with him at all mm-hmm. and she lost the match and the most unfortunate thing is the woman who won the match Naomi Osaka was tearful during mm-hmm. her um, what should have been her moment. Serena Williams, I thought, was very gracious with her and said to the crowd, "Stop booing. We got to make the yeah. best we can here." But it was a really bad scene, and it sparked an entire conversation about gender in the sport. Yeah, a sport that contains John McEnroe, who basically made his career of breaking rackets and acting like a jerk. Whatever. I think she was treated unfairly. I thought the Sally Jenkins piece in the Washington Post about this was correct. That as an official, you are supposed to de-escalate a situation. And this guy escalated it. Mm-hmm. And he took something away from both of these women who were competing in so what true. was really an abuse of his power. I thought that was the right take about this. The other thing is America. When I hopped on Twitter and saw America. all of the people taking Serena Williams to task and talking about sportsmanship... Can we calm down ever? Can we just say what an unfortunate thing that happened at a tennis match? I mean, I just, I could not get over how worked up people were about her conduct. Now, I don't think that the way John McEnroe behaved ever was appropriate. I don't like the racket breaking. I am for calm. You know me. I'm for calm. (laughs) But I think the right answer is not... Well, we police that in women's tennis, but not men's. It should be we police it everywhere. 
And we also don't try to make it worse through the way that we police it. It's just hard because now you have this historical example of a man going almost completely unpoliced. That's never going to be a race. You know, like we That's never right. kind of get a do-over and say from here on out because he's always going to be, you're always going to have that example. Another thing that I, th- I think would be helpful is more diversity in officiating of all sports. Truth. So that was a little long for a lightning round, but we were fired up about Serena, as is everybody. Um, So we also wanted to mention the results in the Swedish election. The far-right political party got about 17% of the votes, which is way higher and continuing to show a global trend, particularly in Europe, of far-right anti-immigration movements gaining steam, which we just wanted to recognize as um, continuing to be very problematic. (laughs) Because I apparently don't properly value the minutes of my life, I read a pretty long piece about Steve Bannon last week, (laughs) and it just reminded me that this isn't random. You know, there is a coordinated effort underway across the world toward nationalism, toward ideas that I believe are racist, and it it was just an important reminder to me that it's it's not surprising or out of the blue that this happened. Yep, yep. Yep. And I don't think the, rep- the reporting sort of shifted. I don't feel like anybody reports it like that anymore, like they used to. Like, oh, my goodness, look at this. And everybody's like, oh, no, it happened again. Yep. So for our gratitude moment in this episode, we each wanted to pick the life of a victim of 9-11 to be grateful for the life of the person that died on that day. As I approached the 9-11 memorial, I decided to just pick a name at random that sort of jumped out to me as I walked up. And the name that jumped out to me with was Kathy Mazza. So I'm grateful for the life of Kathy Mazza. And I sort of anticipated, I just picked a name at random. I'm sure I'll have to sort of dig up this person and see how much I can find about their life. And then much to my surprise, as I was walking through the memorial, there was a section on Kathy Mazza because she was a commander in the New Jersey Police Department and the Port Authority of New York. And not only that, she was the first female commander of the Port Authority of New York and the New Jersey Police Department. She was leading a group of people down the stairs in the World Trade Center when the building started collapsed. There are reports that she used her 9-millimeter sidearm to shoot, shot out glass walls, enabling many to escape. And there was a really beautiful reflection of her in the memorial section of the 9-11 Museum where her mother and her husband talk. Her mother talks about how she had brothers and she always kept up with her brothers and how much she loved to go fishing. And her husband tells this delightful story about how they were fishing in the ocean. And she caught like a like some crazy like 90-pound swordfish. No, it wasn't. It was a big swordfish, but it took her 90 minutes to reel it in. And the fisherman guy kept saying like, do you want me to take over? Do you want me to help? And she refused. She stood there for 90 minutes fighting this fish and finally reeling it into the boat. So she was clearly an amazingly strong, dedicated, forceful woman. And I'm so glad that her name jumped out to me and that I get to take this moment to be grateful for her life. I wanted to remember Cece Lyles, who was a flight attendant on Flight 93. The most impactful moment in the 9-11 Museum for me, which is saying something, was sitting and listening to a vignette about Flight 93 that just explained what happened. And it contained several voicemail messages that passengers on Flight 93 left for family members. And so the the voice of Cece Ross Lyles was one that I heard. And I was so struck by her clarity in leaving this voice message. And then when I learned more about her, I 
came to understand that she did six years as a police officer and a detective in Fort Pierce, Florida, before becoming a flight attendant. She was 33 years old. Um, She had just completed her training as a flight attendant in January of 2001. She had two sons and two stepsons. She was just really excited about the opportunity to travel more and enjoyed her time at home between the flights. She has been described lots of places as tough and smart and sassy and caring and a, a person of faith. She witnessed another flight attendant being stabbed as the hijackers wanted to get into the cockpit. And she was part of the effort in the back of the plane to talk about storming the cockpit and the heroic effort that prevented probably the the White House or the Capitol building from being bombed the way that the World Trade Center was. So she's really a remarkable person and a role model and someone who I think belongs in American folklore, along with all of her other passengers on Flight 93. Next up, we reflect on our trip to the 9-11 Museum and Memorial. Looking for the perfect gift to celebrate the moms in your life? Aura frames are beautiful, Wi-Fi connected digital picture frames that allow you to share and display unlimited photos. It's super easy to upload and share photos via the Aura app. And if you're giving an Aura as a gift, you can even personalize the frame with preloaded photos and memories. You guys, I love my Aura frames. I have one in my office. I have one in my kitchen. I have given one as a housewarming gift. I have given one as Mother's Day. Father's Day. They are the most amazing gifts because this app is a game changer, in my personal opinion, in digital frames. It makes it so, so easy to get the pictures on there and even videos. It plays like you're in Harry Potter, you guys. It is the best. I love mine so much. And right now, Aura has a great deal for Mother's Day. Listeners can save on the perfect gift by visiting AuraFrames.com to get $30 off plus free shipping on their best-selling frame. That's A-U-R-A frames.com. Use code Pantsuit at checkout to save. Terms and conditions apply. We are special breakfast people here at Pantsu Politics, but not just when Beth and I are on the road. The truth is I want something warm from the oven every Saturday morning and Sunday morning. It's just the truth. It makes it feel special, makes it feel exciting. I don't want to work at it. So the first time I ever saw Wild Grain which is Bake From Frozen subscription box for sourdough breads, fresh pastas, and artisanal pastries. I was obsessed. You guys, I've been a member for over a year. It's amazing. It's so easy. Every item bakes from frozen in 25 minutes or less. No thawing required. You can fully customize your wild grain box. You can choose any combination of breads, pastas, pastries. You can even build a box of only breads, only pastas, or only pastries if you'd like. And for a limited time, you can get $30 off the first box, plus free croissants in every box when you go to wildgrain.com slash pantsuit to start your subscription. Sometimes I make one single croissant just for me because I want to feel special and they're so good. You heard me. Free croissants in every box and $30 off your first box when you go to wildgrain.com slash pantsuit. That's wildgrain.com slash pantsuit. Or you can use promo code pantsuit at checkout. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. Can I get something off my chest? Every day I feel a little pang of sadness. Because I think about Griffin going away to college. Y'all, he's a freshman in high school. This is not healthy or normal. This is why I have it on my list of things to talk to my therapist about. We all carry around these things. Big and small. When we keep them bottled up, it can start to affect us. Therapy is a safe space to get these things off your chest and to figure out how to work through whatever's weighing you down. If you're thinking about starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. 
It's entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapist anytime for no additional charge. You gotta get it off your chest. And you can get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com slash pantsuit today to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash pantsuit. So as many of you know, over the weekend, Beth and I, along with our executive producer husbands, went to New York City to visit the 9-11 Memorial and Museum. And before we talk about that, I wanted to mention briefly that I will be going to the D.C. Memorial this week and sharing my reflections on that. We wanted to make sure and include that memorial and sort of our reflections. I also wanted to say that there um, dedicating a new 90, the Flight 93 National Memorial. It's really beautiful and thoughtfully done. I look forward to visiting it. They have designed a 93-foot tall memorial that contains wind chimes as to put voice to all those amazing people, just like the flight attendant, Cece Lyles, that you just reflected on. The voices from that flight, the passengers and the crew, are such essential to that moment in our nation's history, and I think it's beautiful that they've reflected that into the memorial itself. We started our tour of the World Trade Center complex at Trinity Church St. Paul's Chapel. And if you don't know anything about the history of St. Paul's, it's well worth your time to look into. It's one of the only buildings in the United States that's still standing where all of the founding fathers met at one point. And it's a really remarkable landmark now because despite its very close proximity to the World Trade Center, the Twin Towers, it only had a window broken on 9-11. The destruction of those towers destroyed lots of buildings Mm -hmm. around them. There was huge damage. Most of them had to be completely demolished and rebuilt. And a large tree fell in front of St. Paul's creating this canopy over the building. And so only one window was broken and it became a base out of which first responders were able to work. They slept there, they showered there, they took their meals there. And it was a really powerful way to kind of walk into this experience. They even have one of the pews from the church inside the museum itself. And as we walked through the tour, I was so struck, particularly at the beginning, by our tour guide, John, talking. You can tell he spent so much time reflecting on how we experienced that day, how so many people reported that it was a small passenger plane at first. And he was like, there's no way that that's what it looked like, that the explosion looked like that. But when our brains can't comprehend something, it's like, we'll find something that makes sense and stick to that. And just hearing him talk through his own personal, like he's he spent so much time reflecting on his experiences, both through the lens of memory and through the lens of moving forward and living your life afterwards. He, he put this great sort of framework about everything we walked through. This is what it was like then. This is how we've thought through it since. This is how we're reaffirming life and moving forward. And the church itself, to have been such a historical landmark in the founding of our country, to be protected by a life-giving thing like a tree, is so intense to sort of to start 
this experience of this area. And I, honestly, the impact of that day on the surrounding buildings was not something I understood fully until we started doing our research. But I mean, you have you have a fire truck within the museum that the first the first part of the fire truck is just you can't even recognize it as like with wheels and a steering wheel. It's just completely mangled and melted because of the heat and the intensity and the debris just destroyed. It was like a war zone, destroyed everything in its wake. So to see this church protected and to to start to experience the area through the lens of that historical framework and moving forward was really powerful. It was also powerful to learn about a small version. Uh, it's a replica of the Liberty Bell that yeah. was brought over from the UK. And what happened around the church, it, it really became a place for the world to express its love and support and grief with New York. And part of that is this bell. And so now whenever there is um, a bombing somewhere in Europe, it's it's just a, it continues to be a place where New Yorkers connect with the rest of the world through difficult things. And I think the symbolism of that is really powerful, too. So then we walked around the area itself and sort of tried to try to orient ourselves in the space. What was there on that day and what is there now? One of the most amazing things is there was a sculpture in the plaza of the World Trade Center. It's a big, it's sort of like a sphere. It's black and it has brass. And as they started to clear the rubble over time, they discovered the sculpture. And instead of fixing it, it now stands sort of in its its new form, which I think is beautiful in its own way, um, in this Liberty Park area that is sort of adjacent to the memorial site. So you can see, and I remember seeing the sculpture when I went to the World Trade Center the first time. So it's it's so powerful to see it back there um, in its sort of new shape, taking on all the the heat and the and the the way it's been sort of mangled, but still it's still beautiful. It's still beautiful. And really I think the way that they set up the entire memorial is an unbelievable tribute to the lives lost and to the bravery of first responders because it is all about, as our tour guide kept saying, reaffirming life. So there are hundreds of white oak trees planted and he talked about how those are trees that have a very long lifespan and, and grow very, very tall. So 50, 60 years from now, it is going to be an amazing site of trees. There's also a tree called the survivor tree that actually grew in the original World Trade Center complex, somehow made it through 9-11. They found green leaves on it a month out from 9-11 and transported it to take care of it. It survived a lightning storm <laughs> uh, before they brought it back. This tree is just a resilient tree. It's very true. And it's not like it's not like it's an oak tree. It's like a it's like an ornamental pear. It's not a tree yes. you necessarily associate with um sort of a hardy breed of tree, but man, it survived it and it's grown beautifully now at the site. And there were so many things where they're trying to be, you know, the trees are not just a memorial, they're they're a park. It's a place that will move forward and be a living, breathing space. And that was so true, you know, all across that area. I mean, they couldn't 
They've built new office buildings. And he talked about how it used to be like 90% of the office buildings around the World Trade Center were the financial industry. Well, now it's new media, new media like Spotify's down there. Like the world has changed and they've adapted to those changes th- with the office buildings themselves. There's a beautiful building called the Oculus. And it sort of looks like big white eyelashes. I don't know how to describe it, but it's. Um, we'll put some photos in the show notes. It's a beautiful building and it's the transportation hub. And then there's also a mall down in there because there was a mall below the World Trade Center. And he talked about how within this building, there are glass panels at the top that can be opened. And on the anniversary every year, they open the windows and release, you know, sort of bring in fresh air and let the air release because people died in that space. And in the way that they need to move forward, they also need to allow for this sort of breathing of fresh fresh air, releasing and turning over every year because it's it's a very complicated space now. There are a lot of things in that space. There is death and memorial. There is life and business and shopping and transportation and people moving and living their everyday lives. All those things are present in this space. And I think that they've done a really good job of giving form to all those different functions within that space. Our guide talked about how the entire space is meant to draw people in and to constantly send a message that you cannot destroy Mm-hmm. a space. You cannot remove life from a space. It will come back. And no matter what happens anywhere on earth, there will be people to come and reclaim that space and make it something good and beautiful. And And I think they've really done that. And so another way that they have commemorated the Twin Towers, in the footprint of each of the towers is a large pool of water. And pool doesn't really do justice to what this is. There's water just running down the walls of these pools. And then in the center of each one is what looks like just a bottomless second pool almost where all the water, it it doesn't look like a drain or something. It looks like a second pool. And so all of this water running down the walls then runs into this second pool that, that you can't see the end of, which is supposed to symbolize the endless grief associated with this event. But it's also water, and and water is life. And there is a sort of shelf all the way around the pool where names of the victims are engraved in a way where you can put flowers and flags and objects into these individuals' names. You can touch them. It is a very sensory-heavy experience. And then you can slide your hands beneath those shelves and actually touch the water, too. So after our tour, we entered the 9-11 Museum. And immediately, you you realize sort of the depth of the space. You go very sort of deep underground. There are soaring ceilings. A lot of times because they have to fit in massive structures that really give you the scale of the World Trade Center itself. In fact, as we were walking in, the first thing I was struck by was how they have to set up the World Trade Center. And here's my thoughts as I was sharing them with Beth as we were walking through the museum. As we're starting through the memorial, I'm realizing they have to spend so much time setting up the perspective of what the World Trade Centers were because for so many people, they'll never know. You know, as someone who was 
pretty much into adulthood on September 11th, like, I thought we would start with the attacks and what happened, and because I understand the scope of the buildings, I understood what they symbolized, I'd seen them before in my life, but there will be generations of people or so, so many people that just don't understand what the buildings were before they fell. And that kind of hit me in a big way as we're walking through the memorial. So you descend this staircase and as you do, you walk alongside a piece of stairway that was removed from one of the towers. And seeing that, for me, just drew me right into the experience Mm -hmm. of these buildings. There is also an unbelievably powerful art installation of watercolor panels in different blues where different artists were invited to recall the color of the sky on the morning of September 11th. And in the midst of that, there is a quote from Virgil, no day shall erase you from the memory of time forged out of pieces of iron from the building. So it's a really powerful way to begin the museum. And as you come in, you hear voices of people talking about their experiences of that day. My parents, I wanted to talk to the people that I loved the most. So I started to call my friends and But you can't get through all the sensory experience of walking into the museum and hearing all those voices. In the museum itself, it felt like walking through the documentary I talked about a lot when we worked through the timeline, which is 102 Minutes That Changed America, which is just found footage that walks minute by minute through the September 11th attacks. They have the audio of the the commander asking for a roll call of the ladders and brigades present in the South Tower with him. They have that. That plays in one section of the museum. You, ha- you hear all these voices talking about throughout that you see the Today Show reporting. It's, it's very intense. It's, it's like walking through the day itself because there are so many audio and sensory experiences, and they've done such a good job in in particular in certain parts of making you really step into the moment of that day. So there is an alcove where they talk about people who fell out of the windows of the World Trade Centers because of the heat and the flames above the crash sites themselves. They made a choice that I thought was very profound in that they show photos on the wall, but you have to look up. They push the photos way up the wall, and so you literally have to look up at these photos in in exact same way that the people on the ground that day had to look up and witness this. And they share two quotes. One woman saying, I I felt like I had to look away. It was the only respectful choice. And another woman saying, I felt like I had to watch. It was the only respectful choice. And I thought that was a really nuanced, profound way to say this was a very intense experience that everyone reacted to the same way. And that's okay. That's okay. I don't know if we did a good enough job after 9-11 of telling each other, like, we are all going to react to this differently, and that is okay. I mean, and I think that's even true of the experience of the museum and memorial itself. You're good. Everybody's going to have a different experience. A lot of um, people have asked me, oh, did you did you hear read some of the victims and the families and their responses to it? And I have, and I understand that some people— um, 
don't enjoy the museum and don't enjoy the memorial. And I think that's fine. And I think the difficulty of the people designing it is as important as the victims' families are. This museum has to stand decades, hundreds of years after anyone who was alive during that time will still be here, including the victims and their families. And that's so difficult to think through how they're going to experience it, but also think we have to explain, we'll have to explain this to people who were not even alive. Sort of like I was talking about with the buildings. We have to set this up for people because not everyone who experiences the 9-11 Memorial Museum will have been alive during 9-11 itself. And that's just so hard to think about, that we all bring such different things to a memorial and a museum like this. Sarah and I have talked many times about our desire to age as gracefully as possible, and skincare is a huge piece of that. I spend a lot of time and money thinking about my skin, and I have added Ritual to my routine, which just gives me a lot of comfort. Ritual is here for us. They have created a wrinkle support skin supplement and conducted clinical studies, so we know it's working. They're taking the guesswork out of skincare. Ritual Hyacera is one of several Ritual products that I love. I take the daily multivitamin, I take a probiotic, and Hyacera is that once daily skincare supplement that is clinically proven to reduce wrinkles and fine lines and increase skin smoothness in 90 days. I recently met a friend for the first time in person as opposed to online. And we were discussing the fact that I am 43 and she said, I cannot believe how young you look. And I thought, thank you, Ritual, for that. Start Hyacera to help minimize wrinkles without compromising on clean science. Hyacera from Ritual is a clinically proven skin supplement you can actually trust. Get 25% off your first month for a limited time at ritual.com slash pantsuit. Start Ritual or add Hyacera to your subscription today. That's ritual.com slash pantsuit for 25% off. Do you want a bra that's sexy or a bra that's comfortable? Thanks to Third Love, you can have both. Third Love was started to take all the frustration, ick, and ugh out of bra shopping. That's why they make solutions for every bra problem, aka problems. Their bras make it easy to bring back perkiness you haven't seen since high school, get smoothing you know where, and have straps that actually stay put. Designed at their headquarters in San Francisco and made from premium materials, they put every style through hours of wear testing on real women, including themselves, before it's given the stamp of boob approval. Comfort and support are guaranteed. Plus, whether you're a double A cup or an H cup, their virtual fitting room will help you find your perfect fit fast. And they've even invented half cups. No more feeling stuck between two cup sizes that don't fit right. It's time to get your problems solved. Visit thirdlove.com and get 15% off your order with code PODCAST15. There's not much worse than a dry energy scalp. Also, when you get your hair colored and then it does not last as long as you and your stylist discussed, it could be that unfiltered, mineral-filled water is the culprit. Hard water is a leading cause of damaged hair and dry, irritated skin, and about 85% of the United States uses hard water, filled with dissolved minerals and added chlorine. That's where Canopy's new filtered shower head comes in. Canopy, known for their beauty hacks and reimagined humidifier, has revolutionized the filtered shower head. Dermatologists recommended this unique three-stage filtration system greatly reduces contaminants and odors in your shower water, leaving you with healthy hair and glowing skin. Best of all, the Canopy filtered shower head is hassle-free. Installation is a breeze. And its unique quick-release filter replacement feature allows for seamless filter replacement unlike any others on the market. 
Go to getcanopy.co to save $25 on your Canopy filtered showerhead purchase today with Canopy's hassle-free filter subscription. Even better, our listeners can use code pantsuit at checkout to save an additional 10% off your Canopy purchase. Hurry, your hair and skin will thank you. The day before we went to the 9-11 Museum, Chad and I went to the Museum of Modern Art, and we spent a lot of time in this exhibit about Croatia and Slovenia and that area of the world and the architecture that was um, important there. And there were lots and lots of found household objects. And I spent a lot of time just kind of looking at those objects with curiosity and and feeling myself transported to a different place in time. And so it was such a different experience to be in a place where everything looked pretty contemporary. You know, there there are mm. shoes that some of the women leaving the building wore, and they look like shoes that anyone would wear today. And there were metro cards and driver's licenses and all of these things that just look like stuff you have in your house. And it really did give me that feeling that you just described, Sarah, that this is preserved not for me, this is preserved for people who didn't live through this time. Mm-hmm. And the the television footage that they used throughout the museum, I think, contrasted immediately. So, so, for example, there is a giant projection of the North Tower's collapse. And it looks like something out of a movie, right? Mm-hmm. It, the way it just goes straight down so fast. So you see that and then you turn around And there are huge pieces of concrete and iron to help you remember that this is very real. It isn't from a movie. You know, that that is very real. And look at the intensity of these materials. Look at how deeply impacted the strongest things we know to build with Mm -hmm. were by what happened. I just thought it was a really important way to keep you grounded in the physicality of what occurred. I mean, they literally have a steel beam that is bent into a horseshoe shape. And when you watch something that large collapse on something as small as a television screen, it's just so difficult to reflect on the size and intensity of what happened. And so walking around within the footprints of the building, seeing the steel beams, seeing that they have the Surrey Wall, which is um, an architectural part of the buildings themselves that were used to hold back because it was so close to the ports to hold back the water and to keep the water from seeping through. And just they're, they're massive. They're so huge. And to have that, like she said, the physicality of the buildings themselves surrounding you and the physicality of what the collapse meant was very intense. And the other thing, the other choice they make is the white oak trees outside are symbolic. And then within, they put a white oak leaf next to the name of anyone who lost their lives on 9-11. And they tell a lot of individual stories. And here's what I noticed as I was walking through the museum itself and interacting with the white oak leaf symbols. I found myself being hyper aware of the white oak symbols that symbolized somebody who passed away. And I would like start to read because they would put them towards the name at the heading, but not the paragraph. And I'd just look at the paragraph and I'd be like, no, white oak. And I could feel my brain being like, don't look up. Don't look. Don't look. Don't take the headline. I thought that was really smart, though, because I think you could 
like lessen the impact by telling yourself, well, maybe that person survived. You know what I mean? Yeah. But putting the white oak on everything didn't allow you to do that. It is a testament, I think, to how powerful the storytelling is throughout the museum that you still feel yourself drawn in that way. Even though you know what the inevitable conclusion is everywhere, there's still that element of feeling so connected to the people Mm -hmm. and to the city and to just, I think, to the idea of America being threatened in this way. It, It occurred to me so many times as we were walking through, especially seeing melted vehicles and crushed concrete that these are sites I don't see often through the luxury of where I was born Mm -hmm. because there are places in the world where buildings collapse because of bombs Mm -hmm. regularly and I think just getting myself in in the mind frame of what it must be like to live that way all the time And what it means to be in a place where that doesn't happen and then it does, it was a really profound experience for me. Another thing that I learned from the museum that I found really impactful was they talked a lot about the physicality of the buildings and how they oriented people in the space. And so when people came out or when people were walking around, particularly after the buildings collapsed and the dust went everywhere, like people did not know where they were. Like they just couldn't orient themselves in the space itself because the buildings were so important to the space and the city and the particularly the downtown area. And to think that you know, New Yorkers who are so capable of moving around a city as massive as the one they live in to have come out and how different that space must have been if people could not even tell where they were in this city that they know like the back of their hand. I was also struck by hearing some sound from a police officer who had been near the towers when the North Tower collapsed and had gone to a hospital and was being treated. And the folks at the hospital were saying, We don't mean to shove you aside, but we need to prepare because we know lots and lots of people Mm -hmm. are going to be coming. Mm -hmm. And the police officer looked up and said, there's no one to come. Mm -hmm. It's all gone. There's Mm -hmm. no one coming. Because she knew when she saw that tower collapse how unlikely survival was. Mm -hmm. And to just think about those moments when people were processing what had happened. You know, our tour guide kept saying, you can't know how you would feel, what your brain will do, how you'll make sense of things. And I hope that none of you ever have to be in a situation like this where you you just can't – you can't even begin to put yourself in the shoes of the people who witnessed this thing. And I think all of those reflections and voices throughout the memorial help give you a sense of how very different people from all over the world who converged here in New York City – made sense of this. And and it was just really touching for me. And I think it, the, the thing I walked away with more than anything else was wanting to find a way to be a peacemaker in the world mm-hmm. because you see all of this destruction and, and you can't name why. And it, it just really affected me on an emotional level about sort of what are we here to do? What are we here to do with each other? 
So as we left the museum, Beth and I sat outside the memorial and shared our initial reflections, as well as thoughts from our walking tour guide. Thanks for coming on the tour. Yeah, we just wanted to ask you why you started doing the tour. Therapeutic. Mm. You know, quite frankly. Yeah. All right. You know, I mean, I'll tell you, I mean, I avoided this place like the plague. I had no desire to come anywhere near here as long as there were ruins and everything down here. Yeah, right? yeah. And I just decided, you know, at a certain point, they kept asking me, you know, you know you were right there, right? Yeah. Um, and, uh, no, I'm not interested. I don't want to do that. I don't want to yeah. remember all that stuff. But then I came down here and, and saw just how right. fantastic this place was. And I thought, you know, I, this I can do. Yeah. Because there's a message here that's way beyond everything else that happened. I found it really profound to both start with... One, the North Tower Memorial, to go through the museum and then to end sitting outside the South Tower Memorial. It's so profound how you can step up to the memorials and how the sound of water overtakes the sounds of the city. In both small ways and big ways, you can still hear the sounds of the voices next to you. And people are experiencing it in many different ways. And there's just this sort of flow of humanity standing next to this giant footprint and all the sound of this rushing water. And so you see this big hole, but you can also stand there and touch both the water itself and the names of individual people and individual lives. And it is such a profound experience that I hope every American has the chance to have. Pantsy Politics is produced by Dylan Garvin. Elise Knapp is our production assistant. Dante Lima is the composer and performer of our theme music. Our show is listener-supported. Special thanks to our executive producers, Tracy Putoff, George Niedermeyer, James Randall, Cherry Haas, Nicholas Holland, and Chad Silvers. To support Pantsuit Politics and receive lots of bonus features, visit patreon.com slash pantsuitpolitics. You can connect with us on our website, www.pantsuitpoliticsshow.com. Sign up for our weekly emails and follow us on Instagram.